If you've ever gone on the internet, you probably have some unanswered questions about beef, confusions about is it actually healthy? Is it a good choice for your little ones? What are we serving when it comes to beef? And today I have Kelly Hawthorne talking to me about all your beef questions. She's the director for clinical research for the Department of Pediatrics at Dell Medical School at the University of Texas at Austin, UT Austin. Kelly is also a registered dietitian, just like me, and I'm so pumped to talk to her today. Welcome back to Feeding Toddlers Made Easy. If you're new here, I'm Casey Barnes, registered dietitian and mom of two, and we talk about all things feeding toddlers, sometimes babies, babies, toddlers, preschoolers, all in that birth to six-year-old age range. And I'm just so pumped to dive into this conversation on beef today. Disclosure, this podcast is a collaboration with beef-loving Texans to answer some common questions about beef in the diets of young children and families as a whole. All opinions shared are my own and Kelly's own. If you'd like to learn more about beef-loving Texans or get some great recipe ideas, go to beeflovingtexans.com. And now I'm going to welcome on Kelly. Hey, Kelly, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, Casey. I'm excited to be here to talk with you. Me too. I'm so excited for our listeners to hear all of your expertise. So let's dive right in. My first question for you is what are the health benefits of beef? Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for most people is protein. And that is absolutely true. Beef is an excellent source of high quality protein. It contains all of the amino acids that our bodies need that we need to get from food. And it also provides other essential nutrients that are really important throughout the entire lifespan. And I know we're going to be talking a little bit more about that and especially young kids, but it does help young children grow and develop. It helps support healthy pregnancies. And even as we age, it helps to allow for greater retention of lean mass and strength, which we all need. Yes. Okay. That is awesome. And I think that's really good for parents to hear because I think sometimes there can be some fear around pregnancy or early childhood. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Now, a lot of people will want to know too, you know, there's so many different cuts and leanness and all that. So many different choices with beef. So is there a certain level of leanness that is best from a health perspective? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I get asked this question a lot as a dietitian. So the word lean isn't just a marketing term. There's actual a government definition to describe this and to define what makes a lean cut of beef. So to be considered lean, a three ounce serving of cooked beef must have less than 10 grams of total fat, four and a half grams or less of saturated fat, and less than 95 milligrams of cholesterol. Now, that's a whole lot of numbers for people to remember. So, you know, people don't need to worry about those numbers, but just to know that there is an actual scientific, you know, objective definition behind that word lean and then finding that in your grocery store. Well, you know, ground beef is is very popular. And so what to look for for a lean ground beef is the percentage. So it needs to be 93% lean or higher to be considered lean and meet those definitions. Another trick for cuts that aren't the ground beef is if it has the word loin or round in the name, it's very likely to be lean. 
So think of those cuts of sirloin and tenderloin or round roast. Again, sir, uh, round or loin in the name. A few other of my favorite cuts that are lean cuts as well are strip steaks, which people don't usually think of, uh, shoulder roast, which is really delicious, and even flank steak that I cook a lot for fajitas. Yeah, um, I made flank steak the other day and it was incredible. I marinated it. It was awesome. Uh, Yes. What did you use to marinate it? I'm always asking people, like, how did they cook their recipes? Yes, it was simple. It was just olive oil, balsamic vinegar, a nice grainy mustard, and some, I think I did, like, rosemary and salt pepper. It was oh, delicious. that sounds fantastic. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so the grocery store is really full of a lot of options for lean cuts of beef. There are now almost 40 cuts of lean beef that you can choose from. And these are at all different kinds of price points and all different ways to cook them too. So either long braises where they're braising the oven for a long time, several hours, or short high heat grilling. So all kinds of different options. And about two thirds of the grocery store counter is filled with lean cuts of beef. So it's really easy to find them. That is so good to know. I can't believe there's 40, almost 40 cuts of lean beef. I would have never realized that there was that many. I think that braising it is one of my favorite, easy, hands-off ways to cook meat too. Like just putting in the pot, uh, you know, a nice heavy bottomed lidded pot in the oven and you don't even have to brown it first either, I found. And it comes out so good. I use my slow cooker all the time. There you go. <laughs> yes. That is the ultimate like set it and forget it kind of thing. And you can just put it on. And by the time dinner's, you know, dinner time is around, you have your nice, healthy, delicious meal. Completely hands off. I love it. Now, what about health wise? You know, we talked about leanness, but health wise, are there certain cuts you should choose over others? Is it these lean cuts? Is it specific lean cuts? Like health perspective, what are we talking well, as a registered dietitian, I do prefer to eat and recommend these lean cuts of beef for most of the time. My favorite cut of lean beef these days is the tri-tip. If you haven't heard of that, it's a triangular shaped cut from the tip of the sirloin, and it's extremely tasty. I also really love it because depending on how much time I have, you can really cook it so many different ways. So you can either cook it low and slow for a long time like a brisket, and it really does have kind of that brisket texture. It's so delicious. Or you can just throw it on the grill for a few minutes like a steak and it's done too and tastes equally good. So anyway, the tri-tip, that's my, my pitch for the tri-tip. I love it. So I've never actually bought tri-tip. Is that something that's always in kind of the butcher counter, you know, where you go for a prepackaged meat? I don't feel like I ever see that there. It is there. Um, it's, um, I <laughs> so it's, I've got to look there. harder. Well, you know, just look around for, for it. Or, you know, if you don't see it, then you can always ask the butchers behind the meat counters and, and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. There are only two from each cow. So it's, you know, it, it is not as common in the meat counter, but definitely it, it's, it's in most grocery stores now because it's really soaring in popularity as people kind of find more about it. I see it at my local grocery stores and at Costco and, and uh, other places I buy meat. Oh, so you okay. don't have to just order it from a specialty yeah. meat place or, you know, I love those too. And I love going to, there's a great meat market nearby where I live. And so I always love going there uh, and they always have it too. It's not such a specialty cut anymore. 
you can still really find it at your regular grocery stores. I'm putting it on my list for Costco next time I go to Costco. Awesome. Well, I have your fajita recipe now and you have my (laughs) tri-tip recommendation. (laughs) This is great. Yes. So, you know, something that I hear a lot, especially on Instagram, you know, I might post about beef and I get a lot of people who are skeptical or just really unsure about beef being a healthy choice. A lot of them think, well, beef is just not healthy. Why has it gotten this reputation? I understand exactly what you're talking about. So one reason for some of the confusion around beef and health has to do with the way human nutrition studies were designed and how information from those scientific studies were communicated to the public. They didn't always consider differences between different types of meats. They just categorize them all together. And so that has been some of the struggle to figure out exactly uh, what some of the differences are. So that contributes a lot to these conflicting headlines too. But the good news is that more recently in the last five to 10 years, we've had much better well-designed studies that have been done that actually look at beef in healthy dietary patterns that's a very dietitian-y way to talk, <laughs> dietary patterns, but it's, it's just looking at the way that people eat and like the Mediterranean pattern is one of the, the food patterns and the dietary guidelines for Americans, but looking at how does beef fit into the way that people eat healthy diets. And what we do find from those studies is that people who consume beef along with other nutritious foods like fruits and vegetables and whole grains, we can still see healthy outcomes. So Sometimes it's the company that beef keeps that contributes Mm -hmm. to um, those headlines. So, you know, if you also ask me what another one of my favorite meals is, it's it's a good old cheeseburger, you know, but I'm going to choose that on a, a more limited basis. And I'm also going to kind of be careful. And maybe sometimes it's so weird to have a salad with a hamburger sometimes, but sometimes I do that. Sometimes I'll eat the fries. But sometimes I'll, I'll choose or a, a healthy quinoa salad next to it or something like that. So it's really all about incorporating all of those food components on our plate, whole grains, fruits and vegetables, and lean cuts of protein like beef. I love that. Yeah. So it's kind of like we do think of that image of, you know, the fast food burger and French fries. And I think people think, oh, well if that's how you're eating beef all the time, then yeah, maybe we're not getting a whole range of nutrients with that meal. But the way that you're describing it is, okay, yeah, we can do this, but you need to look at the overall diet. I feel like as a dietitian, that's what I'm constantly saying to people about everything of, you know, let's consider the overall diet and not just these individual ingredients because the bigger picture is what's more important. Absolutely. All the time. (laughs) That is all the time what we're talking about. So, you know, it's, it's also true that several decades ago, beef had higher levels of fat, but over time with improved breeding techniques, cattle ranchers have been able to produce much leaner beef in a more efficient manner. And again, that comes back to that consumer demand for the leaner cuts of beef that were still tasty, that were still at good price points that were affordable for families. So that's been a big change over time. And we really need for the headlines to catch up to that. Mm-hmm. That piece of the story too. Another thing is that people, there is some saturated fat in beef, but beef is also a, a contributor of a heart healthy fat called monounsaturated fat. 
And typically when people think of monounsaturated fats, our other sources in our diets are things like olive oil and avocados, which, you know, we should also include in our diet because those are heart healthy fats. But again, we wouldn't want to like chug a gallon of olive oil every day either (laughs) (laughs) or eat like 20 avocados a day, you know, so uh, every single day. And so just knowing that, that even though beef may have some saturated fat, it is, it's also a source of monounsaturated fats and kind of identifying it into that group and recognizing all of the nutrients in beef is also important. That is so good to know. And I, I think that's a very uncommonly known fact about beef. Yeah, for sure. Like most people, they just don't think about it. They think the monounsaturated and then they go straight to olive oil and avocados, like I said. But beef does have monounsaturated fat too. Awesome. Now let's talk about the different things you see in the grocery store shelves of organic, grass-fed beef. Are there added nutritional benefits for those different types? Sure, sure. All of those labels uh, you know, that can can add to some of the feeling of overwhelmingness mm-hmm. for consumers in that at that grocery store aisle. So let me break it down for you. What most people don't realize is that all cattle spend the majority of their lives grazing on pasture and are grass fed. So even though it's kind of a marketing term, but I grass fed because it's more of a buzzy word, mm-hmm. but I really prefer what's more accurate is the terms grass finished instead of grass fed or grain finished, because this is really talking about the distinction. And that really does come at the end of the process. So grain finished is more of the traditional method and cows who are grain finished still have about 90% of their diet as grass or coming from hay to like grass fed cows get hay in the winter time when the grass isn't growing or plants that aren't edible for human consumption. And only 10% of their diet comes from grains. So even labeling them as a grain fed, like it makes it sound like they would be primarily grain fed, but it's really the last, uh, only about 10% of their diet for that grain finished cow. And in general, all types of beef, whether grain finished or grass finished are equally nutritious as sources of uh, 10 essential nutrients like protein, iron, zinc, and many B vitamins as well. There's very little nutritional difference between grass finished and grain finished beef. The only difference that I would really even mention is that grass finished beef does contain slightly higher omega-3 fatty acids than grain finished beef, which is a healthy fat that we need to have in our diet. However, it is so small. And really, this is the only difference. And it is so small. Oh my God. I, I, I I really tell people, if you were to eat like one bite of salmon, you would make up the entire difference of your entire beef meal, you know? So that's how small it is with salmon being a very omega-3 rich source. So I would not say that grass-fed beef is rich in omega-3s at all. It's, it's slightly higher. It is than grass, uh, than grain finished, but, but really it's so negligible. And again, as we've been talking about looking at your entire plate and your entire meal and your entire meal over several days, like the different, you just don't see the, the difference in the body. And then most people, you know, we hear about grass-fed beef all the time, mm-hmm. but it really only makes up about 5% of the market share right now. So the vast majority of our population is still eating grain-fed, grain-finished beef. What I like most about this is that it's options. You know, we get to have choices 
and you can spend your money however you want to, and you can make your choices for yourself and for your family however you want to. And so having the options available of grass-finished and grain-finished beef is what I like best. You know, let people choose what they want to choose. That's fine. And along the way, dietitians like you and I can educate people about what some of the differences are. Yeah, but I think this knowledge is power for people, especially if they've felt like, oh, maybe I'm not making a good choice if I don't get the grass fed, but wow, that's out of my budget for grocery shopping. So now it's understanding that, okay, they still had 90% to give or take 90% of their diet on grasses, hay, plants, but that's like a huge portion of their (laughs) diet. So I think that's amazing to know that it's like, okay, maybe this, there isn't as much of a difference as people thought there's not. Right. You know, so I, I never like to put a halo on any food, honestly, just like I don't want to say that necessarily anything is just off the table either, you know, but it shouldn't be part of like your regular routine for your diet. But I also don't want to put too much of like that halo effect on any food to say like, oh my gosh, you know, if you ate this every day, like you would never get XYZ disease. That's just not how our bodies work. That's not how the foods work in our bodies. So yes, absolutely. You know, fruits and vegetables are healthier and better for us than, and then those ultra processed foods, like, you know, chips and, and things like that. But even grass fed beef, like, I don't want to put that halo on it to say that, you know, there's there, because like, as I've described, the nutritional differences are just so, so minor. Yeah. And I just have been susceptible to all the influencers who I've seen tell me that like, this is the only way to go. If you're going to have meat, it should only be this. And what a relief to know that the actual science shows us that it's not this huge difference that some people make it out to be. Now, what about organic? Let's talk about organic. Sure, sure. Organic. So there are, again, kind of back to like, there's an actual, you know, government definition for lean we have those definitions for organic as well. So certified organic beef means that the cattle never received any antibiotics or growth producing hormones. Now they could be either grass finished or grain finished because like we've just talked about, those are different kinds of definitions. So you could have grass finished organic beef or grain finished organic beef. There's no nutritional differences whatsoever between organic beef and non-organic beef. Not at all. Nothing that's even that like slightly significant that I mentioned with the wow. uh, with the, the grass and grain fed beef. Again, for me, I think it's it's great to have different options available for people so that they can make their own choices. Okay, and we have research to back up what you're saying. You're not absolutely. Just- <laughs> I, I as a registered dietitian, I don't speak on anything unless it is evidence based from a reputable peer-reviewed journal, you know, and there's so many references um, I'm happy to provide for you. Yes, yes, yes. And what I usually like to tell people about organic too, is that that's a choice that you can make. If you feel like that's important to you to support organic farming, then by all means go ahead, but know that nutrition wise, it's not going to be this, this big impact that we might think that it may be based on the marketing that we have taken in. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Okay. So 
Let's talk about the most recent edition of the dietary guidelines. We can nerd out on our dietitian-y things here. So the most recent edition of the dietary guidelines for Americans actually included recommendations for babies and toddlers for the first time, which to me was so exciting um, as I serve this age group. So this included eating a variety of foods from all food groups from around six months of age. Are there benefits to introducing beef at this young age? Okay, the too long didn't read answer would be yes. (laughs) But then let me back it up again. You know, I am so thrilled, just like you, to see that the dietary guidelines for Americans and, and other national recommendations are finally addressing the zero to two year old age group. It's so great to see that they really, the, the advisory committee who is made up of scientists, pediatricians, other physicians, dietitians, epidemiologists, like these are top scientific leaders and healthcare leaders Uh, looking at the evidence and evaluating that and then creating these recommendations. So what they looked at is finding that it's very important for babies to start having solid foods around six months of age that are nutrient dense for iron and zinc in particular. Now, this six month age range is very important because especially for a breastfed baby at around six months of age, the breast milk is very low in iron and zinc content. So the breastfed baby really isn't getting very much iron and zinc from their breast milk anymore. So we need to introduce it as another source from those solid foods. And developmentally, about six months of age is the right time for babies to start solid foods. They're able to sit up in a chair. They're showing interest in foods as mom and dad and other family members around the table are eating and they're reaching out for those things. And they're able to, like I said, sit up and hold their head up appropriately by themselves. So all of those little developmental physical milestones will show a parent, you know, oh, okay, I think it's time to start solids. So developmentally, it's six months is the right time. From a breast milk content standpoint, six months is about the right time. And then as parents start to introduce those solids, so by the time the baby is about nine months old, about 90% of a breastfed baby's iron and zinc should be coming from solid foods. That, I mean, it's almost all of it needs to be coming from those outside sources other than breast milk. Yeah. Now, beef is a good source of iron. And so each small bite provides a significant amount to the baby. And because iron from beef is coming from an animal food, it's easier for the baby's body to digest and to absorb than iron coming from plant foods like spinach. So there's been a great study recently that looked at the absorption factors and taking into consideration, was a food source an animal source of iron or a plant-based source of iron? And because those are absorbed differently by our bodies. And when they, when the scientists took these absorption factors into consideration, almost all, 96% of fully breastfed infants at six months of age And 72% or three-fourths of mixed-fed infants or those getting some breast milk and some formula didn't meet the iron recommendations. They Mm. didn't get enough iron in their diet. They weren't even close to getting how like 90% of their diet should be coming from those solid foods. So we'll talk in a moment about like why why is that important, but just knowing that three-fourths of mixed-fed infants, because that's what a lot of our babies are, you know, getting some breast milk, some uh, infant formula as well are not getting enough iron. What was really surprising from that study was they looked at the 
fully formula fed babies, not getting any breast milk anymore. And this was, you know, our regular term infant formulas that are, are good sources of iron. And even 20% of those formula fed babies weren't getting enough iron. So it really is a health consideration for all babies, no matter what they are getting for uh, sources of breast milk or, or formula. So that's why having nutrient rich solid foods at that six to 12 month age range is super important. So bite for bite, incorporating some beef into your baby's diet can be an easy and tasty way to provide these key nutrients. Wow. Now let's talk about amounts because I think that parents are often surprised by how little something looks to them. They're thinking, is that enough? And babies and toddlers can actually get a really great amount of nutrients from smaller amounts of food. So how much meat is recommended for babies, toddlers, young children? And then we can also talk a little bit about how much is too much because I know I get that question too. But so what are the recommendations here? The thing to think about with, with these little babies and, and, and young toddlers is what might you be displacing? If you, if you feed them too much of anything, including beef, you're going to be displacing opportunities for trying new fruits and vegetables and whole grains and all of the other things and flavors and different tastes and other foods that have different nutrients in them. You know, we need some fruits and vegetables that have vitamin C in there too. You know, so if you feed too much of anything, you're going to be displacing some of the other foods and therefore other nutrients that the baby needs as well. Yeah, that's helpful. Something that I often tell people just from a practical standpoint is if you feel like they do kind of hone in on one food group at a meal, then at the next meal, you can just skip that food group and present something different so that they do get that opportunity. If you feel like, oh my gosh, every time I give them this one food group, that's all they eat. So we are giving them, it doesn't have to always be all within one meal. Right. Absolutely. One thing that, that you may be familiar with too, is Ellen Sattler's division of responsibility for parents and children. And what she describes is, it's great. I quote her all the time. Same. <laughs> if, if she had a nickel for every time any dietitian quoted her, oh, like, yeah. she'd be a billionaire. Oh, yeah. Um, but but it's, it's really so, so easy once she drilled it down to that parents are responsible for what foods are offered to the child when they get offered to the child. And the child is responsible for how much they're going to eat. And once you kind of figure that out, then exactly what you described, if they filled up on strawberries at 10 o'clock, you know, then we'll skip strawberries at the next time. We'll give them something else that they like, you know, but yes, absolutely. It's all about, again, again, once again, Casey, your balanced <laughs> diet throughout the day. I know. For the toddlers. <laughs> I know. I know. Us dietitians and loving our balance. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Well, another thing I want to bring up is that, you know, a lot of parents, they kind of get uncertain about what textures their baby should have. So at six to eight months old, they would need maybe like a puree. And this is a great way to, to, to turn your taco Tuesday night into the meal for the whole family, including your six to eight month old, and just throw some of those components into a blender. You know, when they're about six months of age, we want to be introducing foods separately. So we can be watching for any food allergies or intolerances and really be able to track those. But once they have 
you know, already tried beef. They've already tried um, tomatoes. They've already tried a little bit of cheese. They've already tried a little bit, you know, all of the things. So then, then we can start providing those, you know, all together at more like seven and eight months age. And then as they get older and, and a lot of people ask me too, like, well, like really, do you, do you really just put ground beef in the blender? (laughs) Like, yes, cooked ground beef. Let's yes, cook it. Cooked. Like I will walk you through the process, like for the, you know, the, the book, the, the made for dummies books. So you cook the ground beef so that there's no more pink and then you're going to put it in your blender and you're going to add a little bit, especially to make a more thinner puree. You can add, if your baby takes infant formula, add some formula to it, you know, some liquid formula that you've, you've mixed up. If you have a ton of breast milk in your freezer, this is a good way to use some of that too, where your baby's still getting that. So, so thaw some of that breast milk out and add that to thin it down. If your baby has already been introduced some to some dairy foods, you could also thin it down with some yogurt too. So any of those kind of liquidy things to thin it down and uh, make a thin puree for your six month old. And then as they get a little older, then you can use less of the liquid and make a little bit chunkier puree kind of thing until you get to where, oh, they could each actually even just pick up the ground beef and, and eat that. If you're using what's called the baby led weaning method, which is just more like the baby directed where they feed themselves. Yes. A lot of people think that that skips purees, but it really doesn't because purees are still a texture that, you know, even we have as adults, you know, mm-hmm. I think of like a butternut squash soup is kind of pureed, you know, like I don't eat a lot of purees, but you know, it's still a yeah. texture that I enjoy. But for baby led weaning, what we would do would have the parent preload the spoon with the pureed beef or other pureed item, and then give that to the child, put that on the high chair and let the baby feed themselves. So that is still incorporating baby led weaning techniques. Other ways that you can use uh, beef with baby led weaning is again, make like those meatballs or make shredded beef that they could pick up. When they're about six to nine-ish months old, they're going to be picking everything up by their entire hand using their palm grasp. So you need to actually make pieces of food bigger (laughs) than you would think. So you want like long strips of bell pepper that's been softly cooked, you know, so it's a little tender. Um, You want long strips of steak. You want long strips of those things so that it's easier for them to pick up with their palm grasp and then put that into their mouth. And then they just kind of suck on it and chew on it a little bit, you know, but they're getting some of those nutrients from that. And then once they're about eight or nine months of age, then they'll start to develop what's called a, a pincher grasp. And that's where you'll start to see them closing their, their fingers to the tips of their thumb and making that pinch. And then they can pick up a little bit smaller pieces. So it's, it's almost counterintuitive that you would start with bigger chunks of food right. and then go smaller, but it's, it's more developmental for what the baby's actually able to use their motor skills for. That's really helpful how you broke it down step by step. And I do think for parents, it can be this kind of barrier to get over to think that I would give my baby a whole piece of steak, but they're not able to actually, they're not going to tear off a giant piece of it when they're that age. They're just going to kind of suck the juices out and do that. And that's still beneficial for them, even though they're not technically eating the whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. So I was concerned about this before when this you know, first started coming out. Well, I mean, it's been, this type of feeding has been around for like forever, basically, but it became more (laughs) popularized lately, you know? And so with the rise in popularity, I was concerned because I thought, well, 
are they getting enough nutrients if they're just sucking on that piece of steak or if they're just like, you know, gnawing on that piece of broccoli or something like, you know, not just beef, but all those foods, like, are they getting enough nutrients for that? And fortunately, there, there are some very good studies that have put my mind to rest and can put parents' minds to rest that they do actually consume quite a lot of nutrients from just sucking and gnawing on, on those food sources that you don't need to worry about it. What I also tell parents is please don't stress about this. Like you are poor thing, sleep deprived, and you have so many other things going on in your life. And we're in the middle of a pandemic and like, please, you know, just enjoy feeding your baby and recognize like sometimes if you're out and baby's hungry and you want to use one of those pouches, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Amen. absolutely, <laughs> use a pouch, <laughs> you know, like if you're at home and it's been kind of an easy day and things all went well, and the, the, you know, forces align, you know, go for whatever you want to do then. If you want to try all the baby led weaning techniques and things for, for the baby then, you know, but don't be so, so scared or overwhelmed. Yes. My whole world revolves around like healthier feeding for babies and toddlers, but it's, you know, it's food. And as long as they're growing and happy, you know, one of my, yes. One of my favorite sayings is, and I actually have this framed in my laundry room of all places. Don't ask me why it's there, but it's the quote, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And I feel like that applies perfectly here. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to combine traditional pureed foods and baby jars and pouches and stuff like that with more whole foods and baby led weaning techniques, that's totally fine having, and then really that can put your mind at ease too of like, uh, well, she only sucked on this for like four seconds, you know, is that enough iron? I don't know, (laughs) you know, so maybe the next meal you, you give, you know, some pureed ground beef or you puree some of your uh, pot roast or anything like that. And, and, you know, those tender cuts are easier to, to puree. And they're also easier for the baby to, to actually chew and, and swallow than, than, you know, a, a thicker piece of steak. But, you know, what, what's really important to, you know, I, I want to make sure as I've, I've hounded so much on the nutrients, iron and zinc, I want to make sure that the parents really recognize why are iron and zinc so important. And especially for this age range, like we have to remember that infants and toddler, toddlers are not just tiny adults. They have different nutrient needs than any other life stage group. Just like, you know, preteens are not the same. They're growing at different rates too. And teenagers and, and our older adults, you know, we have different nutrient needs throughout our lifespan. And when we focus on this age group of of about six to 12, up to 24 months, what's happening in that group right now is so much brain growth and their, their head size is getting bigger and it's Mm -hmm. because their brains are growing and not just in size, but in functionality too. And you need iron to make the, um, the connections to your brain cells. And so this is what's really happening in the birth to two years of age range uh, period is making these neuron connections in the brain. And that's, that, that's why iron is so near and dear to my heart because of the brain development that happens 
for these young children. So yeah. as I've talked about iron and zinc so much, I just wanted to throw that out there of that really what we're looking at is is brain development. I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah, we got through this whole chat without even saying <laughs> why are we so <laughs> interested in iron for our little ones. So why is this girl so hung up on this? <laughs> I Kelly. promise you because it is their brain development. <laughs> Thank you so much. So before we go, I just want to know, you know, as a pediatric nutrition researcher, is there anything else, any key concepts or last tips that you want to give to parents so that they should know about feeding their infants and young children? I just want to, you know, encourage all those parents out there that meals and snack times should be a fun time for families. This is a time of exploration, of excitement about food. Food triggers so many memories for us as adults, like so many holidays and significant events include food. And you're starting to create those memories and habits and traditions with your child. And so it's it should be, for the most part, a fun time. It is going to be a messy time. And that's a fun memory <laughs> for you as a parent, too. <laughs> like, remember that time we fed her uh, spaghetti and meatballs and it was everywhere, you know, like, so so make it a fun time. Recognize that it takes sometimes up to 10 to 15 times for for a child to accept a food. So you're going to be introducing foods a lot over and over again. Here's green beans yet again. And encouraging parents, you know, have fun with it, that they are the the best role model for their child, you know, so to encourage them. And maybe it's a time for them to expand their taste buds too. You know, I grew up with a mom who boiled Brussels sprouts And they did not look or or taste very yummy. But once I grew up and realized you could roast them, then all of a sudden, you know, now Brussels sprouts are some of my favorites. So again, just recognizing it's a time to have fun. There's so many opportunities to to start over (laughs) throughout the day and to just have a, a fresh start at every meal and snack time and just have fun with your child and enjoy this time with them. Thank you, Kelly. I love your relaxed approach, especially because you do research on this for a living. And so for parents to hear that this is what you spend your time researching and you can still come and say, this does not have to be stressful. You know, it can be fun. I I love that you're sharing that message with parents and just hearing your passion about it is awesome because I share that too. And I just love it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. This has been a thrill for me. I really enjoy talking about this and anytime I can help parents, you know, de-stress a little bit, but also be educated and recognize that, you know, it just takes a little bit of, you know, a few bites here and there and keep trying and, um, you know, then you can meet those nutrient needs for your kiddo. So great. So we'll have some notes up from this podcast episode in the show notes. You can go to mominosnutrition.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something new, please give us a five-star rating and review. We love to hear all your comments, especially your compliments about what you hear on the episode. So talk to you guys next week.